Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, everyone. I am the lucky one this morning because I get to come before you today and talk about the judgment of God. A judgment mightier than Jorge Soler's bat. A judgment fiercer than a Tyler Matzik fastball. And if you're here this morning and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you are more rested than those of us who do. But I would venture a guess that some of you, most everybody in this room has somewhat of a clue. Now, this is important. Everybody, eyes on me right here. This is the second most important thing I'll say all morning. If you do not know what I'm talking about, don't do anything different. You with me? If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't do anything different. Don't turn it on at Fox at 8 o'clock tonight. Like, just, just let it ride, and you can see the news in the morning. Everybody just do the same thing. That's all I'm asking. Everybody do the same thing you've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Now, this morning, we are here to talk about a particularly different, difficult passage in Revelation. It's the seven trumpets, and so we're going to unpack a little bit of God's judgment, because I, I know judgment's a cheery topic. It's a cheery topic. It's something everyone looks forward to. Everyone looks forward to talking about it, and it's one that our culture really, really, really embraces, right? Like, our culture loves judgment. Not so much. In many ways... Judgment is probably the most difficult part of Scripture to explain to people, especially non-Christians, and to defend to those who are against the gospel. Because our culture has trained us that judgment is wrong and the highest ideal is tolerance. Our culture has, has trained us to believe that judgment is wrong and the highest ideal that you can seek to is tolerance. And here's the truth. I don't even think that really, that they'll call it tolerance. The culture calls this thing tolerance that they try to push forward. But really what it is, is, is radical acceptance. That's what it pushes. Our culture is pushing acceptance. Acceptance of everything and everyone except anyone who would dare to say that something was wrong, to stand up and say, hey, I don't think that's right. Hey, I don't think you should do that. Hey, I, I think that this is going to lead you somewhere bad, somewhere wrong. But judgment is an important and it's a necessary notion in scripture. And I think we are uncomfortable with the idea of judgment because it's hard to explain. And it's hard to explain because we filter it through our own idea of judgment and our own experience with judgment and oftentimes our own usage of judgment. And, and I want to talk, I'll give you an example just in from my own life. This just happened a couple nights ago. So I, obviously I was talk, making a little joke about the Braves, but my wife and I, we actually went down to the battery on Friday night. We were one of the crazy people that jammed into the little green part uh, outside Truist Park and watched in the rain and the cold um, as the Braves took a 2-1 lead in the series. I was more excited about it, I think, than my wife. Uh, she sat down in a chair and didn't move for nine innings just about. But uh, anyway, so we were sitting there, and there was, there was I mean, people all around. You know, you're, you're just having a good time. Everybody's getting along. But we watched. There was this group of people in front of us, and it was, like a, it was pretty obvious. I think it was a guy and some of his buddies, and he dragged his wife and his two-year-old to the thing with him. They all came together, but he was there with his buddies. 
And, you know, you watch people with their kids. You got, if you've got kids in the room and you think, you, just, you watch people, well, they got this kid. He just, all he had on was uh, just a pair of pants and a long sleeve shirt. Now, if you're a parent and you think, what are they doing with this kid? You're like, hey, where's his jacket? Like, where, it's raining. It's cold. And, like, you just start past it, right? You just think, like, what, what are they doing? I would never bring my two-year-old out. I would, and you just start without even knowing. Like, I realize, man, I'm passing judgment. Now, here's the truth. Kids seem fine. I don't think he cried one time. He seemed like he was having a good time when it got raining. They did finally put a rain jacket on him. They brought it, like, slowly but surely. But your first initial thought, my first initial thought was judgment. Like, man, those are pretty bad parents there. Not realizing that most of the time people probably watch me. He's like, God, that's such a bad dad, man. Why does he treat his kids that way? Like, I know people look at me in public, and that's what they're thinking. Half the time, I think that's what my parents and my wife's parents think. But anyway, we like to think that we're good, though, right? That's, that's the way we kind of see things. So therefore, judgment is bad. We are good, so then therefore, judging me is bad. And if you struggle, if you're here this morning, you struggle with the notion that God would judge the world, I would venture a guess that because what you think about the world is that people are basically good. Like, we're basically good. We're, we're okay. We think that the people around us are basically good. There, there are some really bad people out there, but that's why we have laws and jail and all the different things that we have to punish those bad people. They deserve it. But God judging us, that that's not, doesn't equate. I'm pretty good. And therefore, what I think of for me is what I think for me. Every decision I make is for me, and no one can judge me. You have to accept it, all of it. That's kind of the mindset of the culture. That's the way. So if you're thinking about people that, that don't know Jesus, that's what they're thinking. I don't understand because I'm basically good. I try to do the right thing. I don't understand why a good, loving God could judge me and punish me because we like to think that we're good. Because the lie of progressivism, the lie of our culture is that humanity is on an upward trajectory, right? That's what the culture is trying to say. And there's a case for this. There's, there's a guy named Steven Pinker, and he wrote a book called Enlightenment Now. It walks through the Enlightenment and, and the good things that came out of the Enlightenment, and he's talking about this and now. But the, the case that he makes in the world in general, what he's trying to say is that, hey, this world is not as unsafe as we like to think that it is. And it's certainly not as unsafe as it used to be. And hey, there's more people that have been lifted out of poverty and more people that get to live in prosperity in this world than have ever existed in human history. Now listen, all these things are true. All right, now, like, but because of 24-hour news cycles and 24-hour cable news that's invested in you being afraid and invested in you just believing that at any moment something, you could walk out your door and something terrible is going to happen to you, like, that, that, that plays against the culture somewhat. But here's the thing. Even though that is true, and it is true, you are less likely to have something violent or, or horrible happen to you in the backdrop of history where war and, and pillaging and all the things that exist in human history were, were regularly a part of life. That stuff doesn't exist by and large anymore. And yes, you are more likely to live in prosperity in this world, especially in the United States of America, than any, any other place in the history of the world. But here's the truth. That doesn't do anything to change human nature. Okay, so because we don't do some of the things of, of, of humanity in the past, and because we don't operate in some of the same ways, and because, yes, we have the opportunity to make more money and buy more things, that does nothing to fix human nature. We are not on an upward trajectory. It's just that the bad things that we do don't look like what look, it looked like in the past. But an, enlight an enlightened society still hasn't solved the problem of the human condition, the sin nature that exists in the human heart. We are self-centric creatures who are bent on our own good. That's who we are. 
right? We are self-centered. I'll never forget this. I listened to a podcast one time and there was a guy, he was asked the question like, so how do you explain why a good loving God would allow bad things to happen? Why does he punish? Why does, why is a God, good God condemn? He's like, well, here's the thing. That's the wrong question because it's really easy as we're going to walk through this judgment stuff. There is an explanation for why God would do these things. So if you're an atheist, you have to explain away without a God in the universe, why humans are good. Why are we good? Why are we capable of doing anything good if we are just self-centered flying balls of meat through the universe who, who uh, just seek to survive? If survival of the fittest is the thing and just moving forward and, and, and getting yourself forward is all that matters, why do we do anything good? And why do we care about other people? That's what atheists have to do. And that's a much harder sell. It's a much harder sell than why God would judge and why God would allow bad things. And so then you couple that on the one side, that's the world side. You couple that on the Christianity side, that in recent history, Christianity has done a, a, a terrible job of adequately framing God's judgment. And we've done this by reducing the gospel and reducing scripture and reducing the story of Jesus to an angry father. That's what the view of God that we put there is just an angry father who had to be appeased by Jesus dying. And let me tell you something, that is a weak, small view of the gospel. So small. And it reduces the work of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary down to a hall pass to get out of hell. That's what we've reduced the gospel down to. So you've got a culture over here that thinks that they're good and don't, doesn't understand it and is buying into all these lies. And then you've got a church over here who has been pushing this forward that all I'm trying to do is get you out of hell and you miss the entirety of the gospel, which is that God is reconciling and redeeming creation back to himself, all of it. It's not about the judgment. The judgment is a means to an end, but it is not the end. It is about bringing and reconciling people back to God. And so it's against that backdrop that we come to our passage in Revelation today. See, last week we left off with the question, who can stand? Who can stand? The, the terrible things that came with the seals, who could stand up to that type of persecution? Who could stand up in the face of all that terribleness? And the answer was those who were in Christ. But if you can believe it or not, there's worse things that are on the horizon and they come with these trumpets, which are ultimately an attempt by God to gain the attention of those who are not in Jesus Christ. See, the seals, everybody has to endure those. Everybody's got to walk through those. And part of it's the persecution of the church. And, and there are things that we as believers will have to stand up and we can only do it in Christ. But these trumpets, they are a blast, a resounding sound into the world trying to gain the attention of those who do not believe in Jesus. And on the surface, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. They're terrible. This is terrible stuff that's going to happen to the world. Awful things that can often beg the questions of God and, and cause people to want to resist him as we've already talked about and it's because of the way that we have framed Christianity. Listen, we as, a, as the church, we, we bear the responsibility for the fact that, that, that this has been miscommunicated in the world. Because God's judgment is one of the most misunderstood things about God. His judgment, like we have missed the mark in explaining this to the world. Because the truth of it is, is that this passage in Revelation, these trumpets, these trumpets are a window into the mercy of God. They are a window into the mercy of God. God doesn't bring judgment into the world for judgment's sake. He doesn't enjoy it. Right? He's not sadistic. He's not up there saying, well, you had this coming. That is not the purpose. He doesn't enjoy suffering. His judgment is righteous because of his holiness. 
and his judgment is for a purpose because God intends judgment as mercy to lead to repentance. That's the whole message. That's the whole ball game. That is what God's trying to accomplish. So now that we've framed it all, let's dive into this passage. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open up starting in Revelation chapter 9. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. But here's where we left off right at the end. Gary left off with the, the sixth seal. And, and as the seventh seal is broken in heaven, there's silence. Silence for half an hour. And silence because of the terrible things that are about to be heaped upon the earth. And it's silence because this is a solemn moment. Again, God doesn't enjoy this. He's not looking forward to this. He doesn't relish the fact that he has to do this. And the proof that he does not relish these things he takes no joy in them. Is that it's not a celebration. So we've had moments in Revelation around the throne room, all the things that have gone on where there's been a celebration in heaven and singing the praises of God. This is not one of those moments. And the entirety of heaven is silent for half an hour in preparation for what is to come. And this is what John sees. He's observing this. He sees the seventh seal broken. He feels the moment. He knows that something's about to happen. And then the first of the four angels proceeds to blow the trumpet. And with these first four trumpet blows, the world that we know and trust, it crumbles. Because these four trumpets, they teach us that these judgments and, and the things that happen because of them, it's that what we trust will not be trustworthy. All right? The things that we put our trust in will not be trustworthy. Because these first four trumpets, they, are, they affect and they are centered all around creation. Let me read to you here, re starting in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they hadn't been made better. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. I looked and heard an eagle flying overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. Listen to this. That's intense. A third of all earth and vegetation burned up. A third of the, all the, in the sea dead. A third of the ships wrecked. A third of the water supply poisoned. A third of the sun and the moon and the stars go dark. Listen, in a world without a light bulb or a meat plant, this is a terrible, frightening notion. This is everything that they trust, everything that they depend on, drastically weakened, and it's thrown, it throws their world into chaos. Can you imagine that? I just imagine for a second. All of that is still terrifying in our world, but just imagine what life turns like when the power goes out. Like, Life's terrible when the power goes out, right? And I, listen, I live, this is what I do for a living now. Like I, I deal with power. I work in the energy industry. I, I work for different uh, power companies and doing different things. I've done storms. And I'm telling you, listen, those people work hard. I know you want your power back on and they're doing everything they can possibly do. And I, let me give you a little hint. 
These guys that work at these power companies, they work there for a long time because it's a good job. And they remember your house if you give them a hard time about getting their power gone. And next time it goes out, guess whose house is going back on last? All right? So be kind to the people that are trying to get the power back on. But no, seriously, it's no, no. Now imagine that the power goes out. Now imagine the power stays out for a week or two weeks or three weeks. We've seen it in places like humanity devolves real quick. And at some point we know that the power is coming back on, but we still can't, we can't deal with it. Now imagine it goes out and it's not coming back on. Chaos, disorder, throws the world completely. This is what, what, what John's talking about. This is how the people listening to this. This is their entire physical world wrecked. Now you think, like, what, what, what's the purpose in this? And he, but here's what we need to understand. While this seems terrible, and it certainly would be an awful to experience, it's mercy. It's actually mercy. You know why? Because it could have been all. It could have been 100%. God, in his righteousness, he could have wiped it all out. But one-third is mercy. One-third is, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. It's merciful because the heart of God is restrained judgment so that men may repent and believe in Jesus. It's all in the framing of your mind. Listen, because we read this with some of the stuff in Scripture with our modern minds, and we lose sight of, of what it actually was in the moment. Like, take, for example, in Leviticus. In Leviticus, there are passages where it lays out when a parent can stone their own child. Some of you in this place are like, amen, brother. You know, you're feeling it. Like, there's moments, there are days. All right? And we, but we read this as a modern person. We're thinking, that's horrible. Who would stone their own child? But listen, don't, don't miss this. This was the first time in recorded human history that the right of a parent to stone their child for any reason was taken away. That's the type of thing. That's what we're talking about when you, when you talk about a world that's getting better. We've come a long way from a the moment where a parent could just kill their child for whatever reason they seemed fit to a world that had a law that de defined when that could happen to now where you cannot stone your child. You can't do it. So don't, all right? Nobody get be tempted. The framing here is that God assaults what humanity trusts in so that they may lay their idols down, repent, and believe. That is what God is trying to do. What you trust cannot be trusted. Only I can be trusted. But what is wild here is that in this physical world, their physical world turned upside down. And what John sees is not people laying their idols down and repenting and believing. The earth still doesn't believe. Still doesn't believe. Which brings us to the fifth trumpet which is where we see this, that our illusion of control is confronted. All right, our illusion of control is confronted. In Revelation chapter 9, starting in verse 1, the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star had fallen from heaven to earth. The key for the shaft to the abyss was given to him. He opened the shaft to the abyss, and smoke came out, out of the shaft like, a, like smoke from a great furnace, so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the shaft. Then locusts came out of the smoke onto the earth and power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. They were not permitted to kill them, but were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and they will not find it. They will long to die, but the death will flee from them. 
The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Something like golden crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like a lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots and horses rushing into battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions so that with their tails they had the power to harm people for five months. They had their, as their king the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew was Abaddon and in Greek he is the name Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two more woes to come. Listen, today is Halloween, and I dare that you will not witness anything this nightmarish as you trick-or-treat tonight. Listen, we did a trunk-or-treat. Pennywise was sitting there next to one of the trunks. My two-year-old didn't want any part of it. He, he cut a wide berth around the guy with the Pennywise mask. Even that, like that doesn't even touch the horrific nature of this moment. And here's the thing about the, these creatures, these things. They take away the control of humanity, or at least the illusion of it. They assault our illusion of control. Like, did you catch that in the middle? That, that humanity will desire death and will not be able to find it. Death will flee from them. Can you imagine, listen, in a world where we debate sometimes even the, the ability of humans to whether or not they can end their own life if they're suffering, you will not have the ability to do so even though you want to. That is taking away all semblance of control, all semblance of the thought and the authority, assaulting that idea and saying, you are not in control. You are here as long as I say you're here and you are gone when I say you're gone and there's nothing you can do about it. That is what God is trying to say to the earth in this world, even to the point where you lose the ability to even die. The one thing that we're all guaranteed, was it the death and taxes is the only thing that we're guaranteed in this life. Even that death will be taken away in, in this plague and in this moment with this trumpet. Because here's the truth. That's just bringing to light the reality of the situation right now is that we are not in control. You, you think that you have control and you think that you can just move things around and you can shift the pieces around and you can make things happen just perfectly so. And God does this for a reason. Because until the illusion crumbles, the illusion, it has to crumble. That illusion, that thought that you have control of all these things in your life, that has to crumble before humanity can even entertain the idea of surrendering repenting and believing in Jesus. Listen, if you're sitting here in this room and you believe in Jesus Christ, you know this, and you know at whatever point that maybe you came to believe in Jesus, that at some point you had to reckon with the idea that I cannot fix these things, I cannot control these things, and I must surrender. Like until that thought is just pushed into your brain and it drives out that, that notion of wanting to control things, you will not be able to repent and believe. And sometimes it takes the most drastic of things to drive that point home and push the control out. We're not controlling now, even. It's all illusion. It's all an illusion. But even still now, even still with that terrible, awful things assaulting the world we trust in, assaulting our idea of control, even still, humanity doesn't repent. And so it brings us to the, the sixth trumpet. But what we see in the sixth trumpet is that God is merciful, even in his judgment. 
In Revelation 9, 13, it says this, The sixth angel blew his trumpet from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. I heard a voice say to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of the human race. The number of mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses and their riders in the vision. They had breastplates that were fiery red. Hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and from their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. A third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. From the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, because their tails, which resembled snakes, have heads that inflict injury. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, and bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Again, we see that God's mercy exists even in the worst of human history. These three plagues wipe out a third of the earth. Can you imagine that here in the moment, just a third of the earth, seven billion people is just gone. And even in that moment, they didn't repent. And again, we see why that one third, that one third number. John's trying to drive the point home. God's trying to join the point home. This is mercy. The numbers speak to the mercy of God because it could have been all but yet it was not. The numbers tell of God's mercy. And listen, God is both a God of grace and a God of foreknowledge. He knows the hearts of man. He knows the hearts of people. I don't think for one second that he's going to wipe somebody off this planet, this, this planet and wipe somebody off the face of the earth and, 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 and destroy human life without knowing where it's marked for anyway. I don't believe that for a second. I believe that all who are going to come to repentance are going to come to repentance and all who are going to believe. And God is trying, he's pleading, he's doing everything he can to get the attention of humankind. He is mercifully working to get the attention. But see, it's the mercy of God pitted against the hard heart of humanity, the stubbornness of humanity. And there's a lesson here as we see this thing at the end of there. I mean, I mean, just listen to that. After all these plagues, after all this stuff has happened, the rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. After all of it, Looking at all of it, seeing all of it, they still could not lay it all down, repent and believe. Because that's the mercy of God against the hard heart of humanity. And the only way to soften the heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only way to soften the human heart. And so in Revelation 11, God sends these two witnesses to the world. He sends these two witnesses down and there's echoes of the prophets in the Old Testament. And really all of this, just like the trumpets are echoing the plagues in Egypt meant to get the attention of Pharaoh and, and, and get him to release the Israelites. This is God echoing those same plagues and trying to get humanity to release from its own self and its own pride and its own inability to lay down and worship and repent and believe. And these prophets are sent down 
And for 1,260 days, it says, they call the people of earth to repentance, and then they are killed. And they lay in the streets, and then this is what we hear happen. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Imagine the people of earth viewing two people talking and sharing the gospel as torment. After everything they had been through, this was torment. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. So after all that has happened, six trumpet blasts, these two who refer to as tormenting the earth, they are killed, they are risen again, echoes again of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and who was risen again and lives in heaven now. Echoes of all the Old Testament, echoes of Jesus, all of it boiling down to this moment. And finally, the earth repents. They are called a torment. Yet it is only after their proclaiming of the gospel into the world that the smallest judgment in all of this, can you imagine? After everything you've experienced, everything is going through, I don't think that's an accident. God is saying what is necessary for the people of the earth in this moment, in this time. Now, because again, like Revelation is already and not yet, already and not yet. This stuff has happened and is continuing to happen because this is all of human history. We are no different now in our nature and who we are. While our world may look different, again, Revelation not written to us, but it is for us. In this moment, we see the lesson that it is only through proclaiming the gospel and hearing the good news that Jesus Christ has died and has risen, that even the, the, the finding the smallest little thing is what breaks through and causes humanity to repent. Church, we must be these witnesses we must be the echo of the Old Testament prophets, uh, of the apostles, and all the people in church history who have come before us, who have died as martyrs for this gospel. We must be these same witnesses proclaiming the gospel into the world, continuing to speak this truth to you and continuing to speak the good news so that whatever judgment comes into the lives of the people that God is trying to use to get their attention, they will hear those echoes and they will know this moment and then their heart will be prepared to repent and believe. Because the merciful judgment of God ushers in the kingdom of God. And so we come to the seventh trumpet. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, Lord God the Almighty, who is and who was. Because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. All of this happens. All of this takes place to end the age of man and to bring about the beginning of the reign of God. A reign that is marked with grace, with peace, and with truth, making all things right again. 
And the only way for things to be right again, the only way for things to be made whole is to put the, all of your faith, all of your trust, and all of your hope in Jesus Christ. It's no surprise to God. Listen to me now. It is no surprise to God that you need what you need. It is no surprise to him that you are not capable. It is no surprise to him that you need help. And he will go to great lengths to get you to admit it. And so these judgments mercifully do what is necessary to give what is most needed. All right, these judgments mercifully do what is necessary to give what is most needed. Because here's the truth. As it says, the people of the people who are against God, and there are no, there's no middle ground in this book of Revelation. It is those who are in Christ and those who are not. And only those who are in Christ will stand. Because those who are not in Christ seek to destroy the earth. Satan seeks to destroy the earth and anyone who is not in Christ will be trapped into his scheme and they will actively be trying to seek and to destroy what God has built. And that is why judgment must come. And so the only thing left in the face of all this is this. Repent, repent, repent. There are three woes in this book. Woe, woe, woe. And each one God is trying to say, not woe, but repent, repent, repent. And so with that, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And this morning, repentance is, is an interesting thing because... It's once and it's continual. All right, we repent once to believe in Jesus and we repent continually as believers, laying down our lives continually and turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're in this room and you've never had that one moment, that, that one time where you have not said to the Lord, I cannot, I am not in control. I put my trust and my hope in things that are going to fade away. I believe that I can control my life. I believe that I am good. But in this moment now, I realize that I cannot stand amongst something so furious, amongst something so terrible, because I do not have that kind of power, and I need you, Jesus. Listen, if that's you this morning, and you've never repented that once, you've never uttered those words to your, your maker, to your creator, and I, I hope and, and pray and challenge you, this is the morning, this is the time. Listen, hey, there's a chance that the Braves win a World Series... The, the University of Georgia wins a national championship within months of one another. I'm telling you, if the Falcons make the playoffs, everybody better be on their knees. <laughs> Just a little bit of levity and a heavy thing because I'm here to tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know the good news of Jesus Christ and you've never surrendered to it, man, come down, the altar is open and there would be somebody here willing and waiting and able to talk to you and lead you into this repentance. If you are here this morning, though, and you have repented that once, you have come. Listen, it is continual. Re repentance is continual for those that believe. The life of a believer is supposed to be marked by repentance. That is what we are. We, we are saying continually, we cannot do this, God. Listen, what the world needs to see is not a church that's perfect, not a church that's got it all together, not a church that doesn't understand the nature of who they are and where they come from, the nature that they are not good, that they cannot do it alone. What they need to see is a church willing to embrace their humanity and understand that because of their humanity, they cannot stand, but because of Jesus, they will. And so I'm begging everybody this morning, man, look at your own heart, examine this. 
Because this is what we are supposed to be actively repenting, actively witnessing. That is what we are called to and living lives marked by repentance so that an unbelieving world would know the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what these seven trumpets are about. That's what God's judgment is about. And I hope that we walk out of here today seeking to take back the idea of judgment and understand the goodness of it and the mercy in it and that we point people to the mercy and the grace of Jesus through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God of mercy and that in even your judgment, we can see your mercy. We thank you that you will go to great lengths so that all of humanity would know your power, would know your glory, and would have the ability to repent and believe. You would know what we need, God. And you were not willing, you are not willing to leave us separated, to leave us apart from you. God, you... When we fell, when Adam and Eve first sinned and sin entered this world, God, you barred the way to the garden so that we could not eat of the tree of life, so that we would not be separated for eternity with you living and toiling on this earth. But you said, no, you must be barred from this place so that I can be about bringing the repentance and the reconciliation and the redeeming of creation so that you can live with me again one day. That is the God you are, a God of love and mercy and grace and peace. And we see it even in the judgment. Give us the strength to believe that. Give us the hope that comes from that and allow us to be the witnesses, to be the church, to be the people who push this idea of repentance, who push this idea out into the world, this gospel, this good news that Jesus Christ has come so that an unbelieving world might repent and believe. We thank you, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.